What's up everybody? This week we look at Oasis' debut album Definitely Maybe, an album considered the best debut of all time, as well as look at a way to dress like a Britpop star. That and a whole lot more is to come, because maybe strawberries, cream and lasagna is a great first date. Welcome to the show. Actually, I can be completely honest. That's a horrible, horrible first date, but oh well. Anyway, guys, welcome. Uh, good to have you listening to us. Um, it's been a crazy, crazy couple of days. Um, it really has. I want to thank everybody who's taken the time to download and listen to the wrestling episodes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm proud of those because we put a lot of work into them and a lot of research. And, you know, um, I'm hoping that you guys enjoyed. And if you didn't enjoy uh, well, give me some suggestions on, on what would be good ideas for me to talk about in the future. But um, before we got started, um, I usually take these opening segments to talk about something that's happening, you know, near and dear to my heart. And um, I wanted to talk about the Champions League final from uh, last weekend. Um, not the result. I mean, you know, look, people who know me know I, I'm not really have any time for Liverpool FC. Um, just out of a rivalry thing, you know, it's got it's nothing personal. To just but. Um, this weekend was the Champions League final, last weekend, I should say. And, you know, I recorded last week's episode before the game, so I, I didn't speak about it then. But um, I wanted to speak about it now. Uh, and not the game itself. Um, look, okay. As a football fan, what happened to goalkeeper Loris Karius of Liverpool? As a rival fan of Liverpool, it's absolutely hilarious to watch. Don't get me wrong. I mean, um, you know, anytime a player for your rival team makes a mistake like that, you were going to jump on it, right? And as far as I'm concerned, a lot of the people, a lot of legitimate, you know, fans are concerned. That's really acceptable to, like, look at the mistake you made. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, right? But there's a part of me that didn't want to do that because the humiliation of his performance was on such a scale. Now, for those people who don't know, Lars Karius is Liverpool's goalkeeper. And he made two really, really bad mistakes in the, the final. And basically cost his team the match, whether whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, the first mistake, he threw the ball into an opposition player. And the second mistake, he couldn't keep hold of a shot and the ball spun off his hands and went into the goal. Um, at the end of the game, he was distraught. Uh, the TV camera showed none of his teammates went to him. Um, it was basically all the opponents. Um, now, there are reports that Liverpool players did go and comfort him and you know so on and so forth, which you know is the right thing to do. But, um, man, the the backlash that he's received, he's received death threats from his own fans. Uh, he endured a public and international humiliation. There's, there's no other word to say it. Um, you know, his, his, first of all, if you're, if you're a fan sending a death threat to uh, Lars Karius, you're a basically put. And I'm bleeping that, and you, you pretty know what, what, what I said. Um, I, I'm sorry, I've got no other word for it. If you're wishing death upon somebody and their family, and you want them to get serious illness just because they, they had a bad game of football, grow up and get a life. Just, like, literally get a life. If that's how you feel, football isn't for you. I'm sorry. You know, any any kind of fandom isn't for you. Um, there have been ex-pros who have come out and said, man, I feel sorry for the team except the goalkeeper, and, and particularly Jermaine Pennant, who, you know, great guy was Jermaine Pennant. He, he once, uh you know, got done for drunk driving and had to play with an electronic tag on him. You know, so that shows the character of that guy. Um, but, you know, it's just been... it's. 
I haven't piled on. I haven't piled on him for the mistake. You know, I've done the whole fan ha 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 ha. Look at your team thing. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, a, something like this could break a man. Could definitely break him. Um, a lot of people are comparing him to uh, Robert Enker, the German goalkeeper who uh, suffered severe depression and then committed suicide. Now. The reason why Enka committed suicide wasn't because of a public humiliation. It was because of, you know, the death of his daughter and severe depression. But depression could take on different forms when it comes to carriers. And I consider this more a um, Dale Roberts situation than a Robert Enka situation. Dale Roberts suffered humiliation uh, publicly, you know, severely publicly, and took his own life. And that's what I'm worried about right now. I hope Karius makes a comeback. Uh, obviously, whenever he plays Arsenal or Swansea, he has horrible games because, hey, I don't want his team to win. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's just human. And, yeah, well, he's going to have, like, you know, millions and millions of pounds to fall back on. So? So, what, he's, he's what, not allowed to have feelings? Never understood that. Never understood that mentality at all. So, uh, also in the last week, uh, Roseanne was kicked off the air. Uh, she made some racist tweets about an Obama advisor, and, you know, I find it absolutely hilarious. I don't get into politics too much. You know, the uh, this is like a Venn diagram that I like to do. And the people who use the word snowflake are the ones who are offended the most by things. You know, I think that's that's a perfect circle. But I think in this case, people need to realize. Calling an African-American a monkey, gorilla, or ape is a racial slur. It is. It's a slur. You don't have to be, you know... Well, people are calling this guy a gorilla. Is, is his skin tone black? If not, then that's not a racial slur. You can't throw racist slurs and anti-Semitic statements when you're an employee of Disney. You just can't do it. Now, a lot of people are bleeding about free speech, and let me just very, very quickly clarify this, because, you know, as an immigrant to the United States, I had to learn one or two things about free speech. The government didn't shut her down. Case in point, the government didn't shut her down, so her First Amendment rights have not been violated. It was a private company who decided that they didn't want that kind of nonsense spouted on by their people. Sorry. You know, I know there's a whole thing, oh, well, let's take the view off the air, let's take Bill Maher. Please do. I mean, you know, I mean, what was this, tit for tat? I mean, there needs to be a single standard, and I think, personally, if you throw racist abuse at somebody, regardless of who you politically support, you should be thrown off the air, thrown off your job, so on and so forth. You know, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are, if, you, if you're a racist, you're a racist. You know? That's just my two cents on it. So, uh, social commentary aside, guys, if you're on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, look up Because Maybe Podcast, uh, look up Because Maybe Pod, excuse me, um, look at our blog, Because Maybe Podcast.wordpress.com. And also look at our YouTube channel as well. We've got some uh, extra content on there. Um, the next couple of weeks, I did mention that we're going to do another recording with the Trivia Girl uh, because of, of, of her illness. Ironically, my throat feels like a hamburger meat right now because, you know, whatever. But unfortunately, I've got nobody else to do the main part of the show. So, guys, uh, we're going to take a look at right now, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest debut albums of all time. So strap yourself in and we've got more nonsense towards the end of the episode. <laughs> Review Corner, The Music Lounge. Alright everyone, this right here is one of my favorite albums of all time. Now I figured after the uh, last couple of weeks of doing pro wrestling, uh, I'd do something that I knew a lot about. And a lot of you guys might know, a lot of you guys might not know. But this week we're going to look at Definitely Maybe by Oasis. Um, 
this was their debut album. It was released August 29th of 1994. Uh, reached 58 on the Billboard charts, but was straight in at number one in the UK. Sold 15 million copies worldwide. Uh, it was produced by Mark Coyle and Noel Gallagher, uh, mixed by Owen Morris. It was on the uh, creation of Sony label, and it's it's a it's basically the one of the first shots of the Britpop era. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to do this is because it is widely considered the greatest debut album of all time, uh, especially in Britain. Um, now I know not so much in the United States, but definitely in the United Kingdom, this is considered one of the best, and it's easy to see why, um, especially after what was coming from it you know um we had in the uk years and years and years of uh, american sound and music like nirvana rem you know so on and so forth and the british music audience like i mentioned in the Britpop episodes were looking for something new something that they could sink their teeth into and something that reminded them of them and he had acts like blue and suede and pulp and oasis just come at this the, right about the same time this perfect storm of British rock music, British pop music, just bang, you know, and a lot of people went for it. But it wasn't a straight road for Oasis. Now, looking at back before um, we get to the get to the album itself, this, you know, the, the, it's... The Oasis story has become legend in music, especially in British music. So, um, just, you know, bear with me as I, as I break down how we got to even recording an album. Uh, they were formed, Oasis were formed in 1991 as The Rain, with uh, Chris Hutton on vocals, Paul Arthurs, Paul McGuigan, and Tony McCarroll. Uh, they were dissatisfied with Hutton and auditioned Liam Gallagher to be their singer. Uh, basically, uh, Bonin Gwigsy uh, knew Liam's older brother, Noel, and he invited him down. Uh, Noel was working as a roadie for the Inspiral Carpets, a band in the UK at the time, and he saw their debut gig. He was kind of interested in joining, but, uh, you know, hesitant. But he did see, you know, eventually he wanted to join a band. Now, there's a lot of rumors, and this is the thing about the Oasis story, too, there's a lot of romanticism involved in it. Uh, you know, one of the stories is that after the gig, Liam, uh, Noel went up to Liam, said, okay, I'm joining your band because you guys are crap, but don't worry, we'll be great. What actually happened was Liam spent three to five months persuading him to join the band, arguing that Noel's songwriting could take the band to the next level. So, Noel Gallagher in 1992 agreed to join the band under a couple of conditions. Number one, he would become the creative focal point, becoming the lead songwriter. That's important. Um, Liam and Bonnet did have some demos written, but I mean, all of the first three away albums were written by Noel. Uh, and in fact, only after Bonnet, Gwigsy, and McCarroll had long left the band did Liam actually start writing his own material. And, you know, that's one of the points of contention that Noel Gallagher had for a long time was, well, you know, I've yet to hear a song by Bonnet and Gwigsy, and if they're too intimidated, well, then so what, you know? Uh, Noel Gallagher also said that rehearsals were mandatory, and they were to be treated like a job. So the working class roots coming out of the guys, they were to go in, not hang out, focused, and work hard. And they had to commit themselves to making it big. So, between 91 and 92, Oasis played maybe 12 gigs. Um, due to his contacts with uh, the Inspiral Carpets, he had a lot of relationship with local bands and were able to get some, you know, get some demos recorded and have some influential people come and, and become fans, like uh, Johnny Marr, for example. In uh, 1993, Oasis were finally signed. 
and they kind of bullied their way onto a gig in Glasgow uh, because they heard that the king of independent music in the UK, Alan McGee, was going to be at the gig. Uh, McGee was there not just, well, just to see one of his bands perform, but he was also, you know, there to get laid. Apparently, he was set up on a double date, and the date didn't show up, but he was still there, you know, to, to watch his band. And he was impressed with what he saw. He uh, figured that the band would be, you know, a way to sell a couple hundred thousand albums in between the Stone Roses album and, you know, went ahead. Uh, Now, again, romanticism aside, McGee didn't jump on the stage and hand them a record deal, but he spent time negotiating with the band and their management, and, you know, it took took a couple of months to, to strike a deal, especially considering Oasis were, you know, their buzz had got a couple of labels looking at them. But in the end, they went with Creation Records. Uh, Creation Records was basically the ethos of the artist is correct, cited, you know, creative control and Alexa work schedule, for lack of a better term. They could be themselves without having to listen to suits and whatnot. And I mean, at this point, the band, you know, are known for their loud dynamic shows and their equally loud dynamic personalities. And what they did to create buzz, and I think this is genius, and I I recommend any young band who lives near a music hub to do this. Um, They basically went on a tour of the UK, and they did not go to London. They went to Manchester, to Sheffield, to Liverpool, to Birmingham, to, to Cardiff, to Bristol, Swindon... And they didn't touch London until the time was right. And when the time was right, they had people queuing outside that couldn't get in. So, I mean, you know, that was a great strategy by uh, Marcus Russell right there, who was the Oasis manager. So, how does this album stack up? Well, recording, it was a bit of a nightmare for the band. Um, The album was recorded twice, and it was mixed three times before we got what what we... now here. Uh, the first attempt, uh, Dave Batchelor, um, good guy, uh, really, really good uh, producer, but would separate everybody and record them individually, and it the music was just thin, I guess you can call it. There was, no, there was very little depth to it, and it just sounded like somebody covering a band that doesn't exist. So Dave Batchelor was let go. Um, the second attempt, they uh, went to Sawmills. And they recorded in more of a live set and live, you know, rehearsal situation, which they're more used to. And again, the final version was still off. You know, they tried mixing it and it just didn't work. There was something missing. And one thing I can say is recording, uh, sorry, producing your own material is difficult, but mixing it is even worse um, because, you know, you have a bias towards certain things. So Marcus Russell went to fellow Welshman Owen Morris to remix the album. And basically said, do what you want with this. Literally whatever you want, and we'll take it. So what did Morris do? Well, he used the dynamic production technique, delay, phase, and he called it the brick wall method. Basically, he put everything as close up to zero as possible and then compressed it. And that's what they did. One night after a show, um, Marcus Russell showed up with a cassette tape of a mix of cigarettes and alcohol. And the band was so impressed that they said, yep, finish the job. This is what we want. This is what we've got. So, you know, let's get on with it. So, let's go into uh, who was on the album. Uh, You had Liam Gallagher, vocals and tambourine. Noel Gallagher was on basically every guitar, including bass and piano, uh, with backing vocals. Now, 
Paul Arthurs was on piano and rhythm guitar. Paul McGuigan, a.k.a. Gwigs, he was on bass guitar. And Tony McCarroll was on drums and percussion. Now, there were a lot of times where um, it's been rumored that Noel would go behind Bonin and Gwigs' back, so to speak, and re-record certain elements that weren't quite right. Or if, if they couldn't quite get it, Noel would come in and kind of pick up the pieces. Uh, Mark Coyle was the engineer. Owen Morris was the uh, mixer. Uh, Dave Batchelor produced some parts of the album still survived, and they had Andre Dutt, who was an engineer too. Uh, very, very good engineer. Love her. She's fantastic. So, we're going to go track by track, line by line, and see what made this album really, really good. Because so far I've given you a lot of information, but none of it's to do with the music. So, it was all the drama leading up to the music. So, And because it's Oasis, it does have a lot of drama. So we start with Rock and Roll Star. Now, um... This album's got a lot of really, really iconic songs, but this is probably the only way they could have started it. Um, loud guitars, it's triumphant. It's announcing that we're here. Um, it's basically about leaving home uh, and what you know, what you can do, and if it's a waste of time, and if it's dreaming. Um, you know, one of the, the the way it starts off, I live my life in the city and there's no easy way out. And that's true. I mean, you know, a lot of these working class guys living in certain towns and cities, they just couldn't get out of that working class lifestyle. In the bridge, I live my life for the stars that shine. Um, people said I should feed my head, but that to me was just a waste of time. You know, so it's it's like when we're going to do things our way, and we're going to be successful our way. And and that's an ethos that I've personally have taken into. You know, success isn't determined by how much is in your bank account. It's in how much you've hit your targets. And you know, this was the first instance of the infamous Liam Gallagher shine. You know, he, he did accidentally in the studio, and, you know, that became kind of his uh, trademark of his vocal. Um, this has one unique chorus and one unique verse. Basically, it's the same thing back-to-back. Um, Owen Morris changed the structure of the song during the mix. Uh, extra choruses and verses were there, so he shortened the track from about six minutes long to about five minutes long by chopping out, you know... Uh, an instance of a chorus that didn't need to be there, and so on and so forth. But I mean, this is this is a song that Oasis was still playing, you know, at their last tour. Um, it should have been a single, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it wasn't. But the next track, the Shaker Maker, was um, simple picking um, and a 12-bar blues. Aside, this song is really not that good. Um, <laughs> it's not. I mean, let's be honest. I'm a huge Oasis fan, as I've mentioned. But yeah, this is this is no good. Uh, the lyrics are just nonsense, complete and utter nonsense. Um, so Noel Gallagher just writing these lyrics. Uh, he took inspiration from local Manchester landmarks, uh, local Manchester stores, things that were happening around him, and TV commercials. Was was basically it. Um, Shaker Maker was an actual thing. It's a, like a rainmaker type toy that they had uh, back home, and you know. But yeah. That, I'm not a big fan of this song, but at the same time, it was the first top 20 single that Oasis had, and it, but it was seen as something as a come down. so, you know, we'll get to what it came down from here in a few seconds. Then we come to Live Forever. Uh, Live Forever is possibly the most iconic track on the album, save maybe Cigarettes and Alcohol, but I think it's neck and neck between these two. Um, this was changed and shaped during the mixing process. Uh, we had, at the beginning, there was like an acoustic guitar, eight-bar intro that basically went through the, the, the main progression, and then, you know, we started singing. Well, Owen Morris cut the instrumental 
and straight in with the drums, you know. Um, he also shot on the guitar solo because he thought it sounded too much like Slash, although Noel fought him on that and, and got the guitar that we have now. Uh... So instead of like starting with this acoustic guy, just comes in with the drums as, as we know it. Um, it was written by Noel Gallagher when he was working at a warehouse in Manchester. So, you know, yeah, he, 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 it was basically where his life was going at the time. You know, a lot of these guys were, again, working class roots, so on and so forth. So this kind of, you know, this kind of uh, progression and this kind of lyrics were, were what, you know, what were coming through. Um, he just wanted to get away and, and build a bigger life for himself. Uh, Alan McGee, upon hearing this, thought it was the single biggest moment he ever had with a band and thought, wow, okay, maybe we can do more than 500,000 copies in between Stone Roses album. Um, interestingly, it has one unique verse, but two different choruses. You know, uh, that middle chorus is, is is different to the to the main one. Um, ironically, the song is really really uplifting until you get to the end of it. Um, there's a, like an outro with a big guitar solo, and it just it's played with minor chords and it ends on a minor chord, and it just seems a little. It's that's the defiant part, you know. We're gonna live forever. We're gonna live forever. We're gonna live forever, and it's 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 a fantastic. So it's so simple. It's simplistic, it's, but it's fantastic in its simplicity. Um, you know, it's got a great guitar solo, and it's just chock full of optimism. And, you know, it's it's a great, great song. It was Oasis' first top ten single in the UK, and it is considered one of the greatest tracks ever by a British band, even to this day. So, you know, it's it's really, really good. And I'm going to bring that up, and I'm going to put that, uh, when, we, when we talk about the legacy here in a minute, I'll explain why that kind of thing is important. So, the next thing we go to is Up in the Sky. Uh, it's an attempt to talk to people in a different class. Now, Britain is still a class society. Uh, you have upper class, middle class, working class, lower class, so on and so forth. It's not really a political agenda, but it's more to a critique on how politicians try to integrate themselves on into a normal life. You know, you see uh, these elite politicians like uh, Nigel Farage right now. And he's, you know, the son of a banker, he's a millionaire, he's, you know, he's as far from working class as you could possibly get. Yet, you know, he's he's trying to, to lead a working class, normal, common life. And it's so, so, so stupid. I mean, you know, some people have fallen for it, that's fine, but, you know, it's just, he's parodying People, you know, people who live in that class, people like me, he's parodying them, simple as. But, you know, this was trying to talk to those kind of people to say, look, if, you know, if you want to cosplay as, as some, someone poor and someone disadvantaged, you know, th this is this is what we have. Are you listening to us now? This is what we have. Hey, you up in the sky, learning to fly. Tell me how high you think you'll go before you start falling. You know, it's like, yeah, how far are you going to go into this? It's a real, it's a really, really good lyrical song. Um, the song is based off a simple, simple riff, which unusually was performed by rhythm guitarist Bonnet, which you know was was weird to me. Uh, but it features a lot of sweeping guitars at the end. An acoustic version was recorded as a B-side for uh, one of the singles, but I mean, this is a really, really good song, and it's underrated. I mean, I'm. Uh, some parts, some parts are really, really underrated, and some parts are really, really overrated. But I think some parts are underrated, and some parts are just, you know, they're what they are. But I mean, it's a really, really good song. Um, yeah. So you know, that's where we go. Uh, the next track is Oasis' unofficial debut single, uh, Columbia. 
Now, the reason I say that is a demo was released of this song to radio stations to preview the band, and it ended up being played on Britain's most popular radio station 20 times in, like, a month. Now, that doesn't sound like much these days when, you know, the same song's on, you know, played every two hours. But for a demo, when you've got all these really, really good bands, I mean, remember at the time, Kurt Cobain was still alive. You know, Nirvana Unplugged hadn't been recorded yet. So, you know, um, that's kind of what introduced the world to Oasis. Um, it starts with 20 seconds of just noise, you know. It's uh, kind of like trying to be psychedelic, but it's it's easy to replicate if you play guitar. You just kind of put an effect on, on your guitar and you just run the pick up and down the strings a couple of times. Um, this song was written by Noel Gallagher, like every other song on the album. However, there is some dispute, and I can understand where the dispute comes from. Uh... Simple three chords, A, D, and C, obviously. Uh, but members of the band The Real People claim they chipped in with some lyrics. And Liam actually wrote the chorus. Now, Noel denies this and says he wrote it, and Liam hasn't, you know, argued with him. But, um, yeah, that's what it is. Um, it's, like, full of guitars, and, and it, it's it's trippy. It's, it's their most psychedelic song at that time. And, in fact... Remain their most psychedelic song, I think, until Noel Gallagher started doing some psychedelia on his new album. Um, the drums, the bass, and the rhythm guitar are seamless. I mean, it is just so simplistic. Um, I'm not, I, I fluctuate between thinking this is a great song and this is an awful song, but the lyrics are terrible, and the tune is simple, but it's so good in its simplicity. You know, it just and it's a driving song too. It's just the dun 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 dun. It's always going forward. It's always got some level of to it, you know. Um, so there's that. So we come to a disputed song on the album, and here's what I mean by that. If you bought the CD version or the cassette version, the next track should be Supersonic. However, if you were a vinyl head, you will know the track six is Sad Song. Sad Song was uh, the first Noel Gallagher soundtrack on an Oasis album. Um, like I mentioned, it mentioned it was the only on the vinyl version. And it was an acoustic one-track, you know, kind of like what people think of Noel Gallagher now, just, you know, the acoustic guitar and the singing. Um, more melodic and definitely thoughtful, uh, you know, definitely reflective. Um, you know, the song is called Sad Song. It's not depressing, though. That's the good thing. Even though it's called Sad Song... I think it's more to do with you know, that's the best way it says, because the because the first core, the first the first line of the song is sing a sad song, but the rest of it is like trying to look out for for people and you know trying to look out for yourself and everything's going to be okay. Um, it is a departure from the rest of the album, and like I mentioned, if you're a vinyl fan, this is basically the end of side A. Uh, side B also has an acoustic closer, which we'll get to here in a few minutes. Um, I love Sad Song. I think it's one of my favorite songs to play, not just on this album, because of, you know, its chord structure. So, now we go to Supersonic. Supersonic was Oasis' debut single. Um, starts with really, really loud, bombastic drums and an angry-sounding riff. You know, just like... You know, just really, really... I'm going to say, but angry, maybe not the best word, but it's definitely aggressive, you know. And then, boom, Liam's voice kicks in with just the swagger you'd expect from Liam Gallagher. He comes in, I need to be myself, you know, just real, real matter-of-factly. And, you know, that's a real, really good start. Uh, but then it kind of gets nonsensical, uh, you know, certain 
certain lines are just nonsense. It's 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 clearly written under the influence. Um, clearly, clearly. But also had a lot of hidden jokes, too. Uh, for example, when they were caught in the Columbia demo with the real people, there was a, a, a dog who like hung out in the studio. I don't know if it was Australia or not. I don't know if it was part of the engineering crew or whatever. But uh, there was a dog called Elsa who basically jumped up on the control room and licked up everybody's cocaine. Hence the phrase, we like it. there's a girl called Elsa who likes Alka-Seltzer. Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe you could report something like that now, but I mean, you know, it's only a 25-year-old album, guys. I mean, come on. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a really, really good song uh, musically. It's got a very, very, like, in, in the bridge, it's got a very, very interesting chord change, which kind of makes the song, I think. And, you know, it's... It's a good opener to... I think this could have been the opening track on the album, now I think about it, but at the same time, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a good way to, to introduce you to the world, and then Rock and Roll Star was the way to kick it all off, so. But, I mean, Supersonic to this day is still being played by Liam Gallagher, he's played a lot th- through a lot of the Oasis sets, um, Noel Gallagher even did an acoustic version a couple of years ago on his debut tour when he was going solo, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a real, real good, long-lasting song, even though it's got some, even though it's nonsensical in a lot of places. We got to Bring It On Down. Now, Bring It On Down was supposed to be the debut single uh, before Supersonic was. Um, but the problem is it sound, it's a departure from pretty much everything else on the album. Now, sure, everything else has got a lot of distortion, but it doesn't, this is the song with the most energy. It's hard rocking, so that's with a lot of feedback and a lot of, you know, the, the drumming is just like off, off the chain. It's like somebody wound McCarroll up and, you know, you know, wind him up and watch him go. Now, this was Tony McCarroll's best drummer and drumming performance for Oasis, if you don't count the head shrinker. Um, but then again, the head shrinker wasn't as complex as this, so I think this is this is probably better. It still is a crowd pleaser at Oasis and Liam Gallagher and Noel Gallagher shows. Um, or it was Oasis, because Oasis don't exist anymore. But um, it's got a lot of energy, and is definitely his best vocal performance in these early years of Oasis. Uh a lot of the album doesn't have Liam's trademark snarling to it, but this song does, you know, so um, it's it's a great, great track. Now, interestingly, when they were recording it, Tony McCarroll was, um, let's just say he wasn't liked by the rest of the members of the band because they disliked his work ethic, allegedly, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been written in books or anything like that, but a lot of people, a lot of the guys in the band didn't like his work ethic, they didn't like his drumming style, they thought he made too many mistakes, and when it came to Bring It On Down they hired another drummer to record it. And, you know, McCarroll's watching this and just, like, getting angrier and angrier, and this other drummer pulls it off, but it, it doesn't quite sound right. So McCarroll picks up his sticks, tells him to hit record, and knocks out the performance that you hear now. And, you know, it's like, well, why couldn't you do that in the first place? You know, um, when they changed to Alan White, I mean, their drumming did get better, but it, it cost a lot of their energy, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, but yeah, this song is really, really good, really, really underrated too, uh, even by Oasis fans. Um, I love it, I think it's great, I think it's possibly the third best song on the album after uh, Live Forever and a track we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. The next track is Cigarettes and Alcohol. Um, a lot of phasing in the introduction, um, purposely part of the production technique, a lot of hissing, a lot of noise, and... He said that he put that in. He put that in accidentally and forgot to take it out, but it sounded really, really good on the mix, which is why he kept it in there. Hey, who am I to judge? Uh, 
when I've sold over 100 million records, I can judge, I guess. Um, the song itself was the first song in Britain to advocate drug use, uh, as flat out as it did. Uh, you might as well do the white line. Also, it points out a lot of things for a lot of youth in, in Britain at the time. You know, there's nothing to do. Is it my imagination or is it, some, uh, is it my imagination of I finally found something worth working for? Uh, you can wait for a lifetime to spend your days in the sunshine. You've got to make it happen. So basically, it's it's like rock and roll star in the, in, in theme, so to speak. It's a combination of uh, rock and roll star and up in the sky in themat- the- thematics. Let's put it that way. Um, a lot of social commentary, and but a lot of you can do it yourself. Come on, we can we can do it. We can do it. You know, and it's a really really good song. Now the main riff does sound like a complete ripoff of uh, 20th Century Boy by T Rex, and yeah. But I mean, it was it was it was good. I mean, Oasis' highest charted single at number seven, at the uh, at the end of the uh, excuse me at the end of the, the album cycle. Yeah, really, really good track. And you know, uh, it's not one that I'm a big fan of, to be honest. Um, now, a lot of Oasis fans love this song. I'm not really a big fan of it. Not because it's a bad song. I just it, I'd never got it, or I did get it, but it just didn't speak to me as much as say Rock and Roll Star did. Um, now, talking of bad songs that, that people don't like, Diggsy's Dinner. Oh, my word. Okay, this song is just a joke. It's considered a joke by the band, too. That's part of the reason why it's on the album. Um, it's a horrible lyric, and the rest of it just seems nonsensical. But the reason it's ke- the reason it was kept in was because of, you know, of its middle eight. So, um, but basically the song came from a jamming session between Noel, Mark Hall, and a guy called Diggsy, a musician and friend of the band. Um, he was, you know, they were bashing around on the instruments and Diggsy was screaming lasagna into the microphone. So, you know, they wrote the, they wrote the, Noel wrote the song around it. Um, it's the first use of piano in an Oasis song, uh, played by Noel and Bonnet, with Noel playing the bass notes because he's left-handed and Bonnet playing the riff. Uh, Noel would quip in 1998 that between us, me and Bonnet make a decent piano player. I mean, Bonnet is the multi-musician of the group. He does play piano. You know, he's a very, very, very decent piano player. Very, very good rhythm piano player, I call it. Kind of like, you know, kind of like my, my attempt to play piano. But uh, as I mentioned, in the middle of the song, there is a poignant lyric, which, you know, highlights the shallowness of the song while also makes a statement about it. So, you know, the the chorus goes, you know... Um, what a life it'll be if you come to mine for tea. I'll pick you up at half past three, we'll have lasagna. Right? Sounds nonsensical. And then in the middle, these could be the best days of our lives, which means we haven't been living very wise. Great, great lyric. Uh, just like kind of a one-two punch, you know, hey, you know, here come the clowns. Here's the comedy, and then there's the tragedy coming to it, you know. Um, but the rest is, it's, it's a joke. I mean, it, it, is, it is a horrible, horrible song, aside from that one lyric. Now, we come to a song that, um, if you're an Oasis fan, you know this song. If you're not an Oasis fan, you should know this song. Slide Away. Um, it's considered by both Gallagher Brothers and a large swath of the Oasis fan base that is possibly one of the best songs Oasis ever did. Um, it was written just before the initial sessions, and it was written about Noel Gallagher's ex-girlfriend at the time, or current girlfriend, I'm, I'm not sure. Um... And it bumped off a song called Fade Away, which was a crowd favorite off the album. Um, it was actually going to be single number five, but, you know, Noel cited creative control and said we can't have five singles off the same album. Um, and it is the first love song that Oasis ever did. And 
This is the song that I think defined the sound of Oasis better than anyone else. So it's got this real, real, you know, simplistic verse. And, you know, the, the, it's not really loud. It's building, it's building, it's building. And then, boom, epic chorus comes along, you know. Um, yeah, this song, like I mentioned, is... Um, it's fantastic. It's a very, very simplistic song to play, like a lot of Oasis stuff. And not only that, it was just... It's so emotional. I mean, um, Noel Gallagher's played this acoustically, the band has played this acoustically, and it's gotten tears from grown men, um, grown women, grown... You know, anybody who, who you consider not having a heart. I mean, you know, it, it brought a it bring a tear to a glass song, you know? Um, it's a very, very, very melancholy yet hopeful song like a lot of the other tracks on the album but at the same time you know it's just it's really 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 good now unfortunately it's very very underrated by a lot of people outside of oasis but it is a really really good song i recommend anybody who has not heard the song slide away to go listen to it um it's the most oasis-y sounding song on the album and that's that's a compliment i guess i can give it um yeah, I mean, they played it on and off during a lot of their live shows. Sometimes they'd play it, sometimes they wouldn't. And again, it's Liam Gallagher's personal favorite Oasis song after maybe Listen Up, which we'll get to here in a few minutes. Um, and then finally on the album, we have Married with Children. It's not always kind of a love song to a novel's girlfriend at the time of, of writing the song. Um, this kind of was the breakup note. Uh, apparently, Noel's girlfriend wrote him a letter when she broke up with him. And a lot of the uh, the sentiments of the song, he used, you know, from that from the letter, like he music shy that keeps me up all night. Um, it'd be nice to spend some time with you, but then we'll be right back where we were. You know, um, I don't like your sarcasm. You're not as smart as I thought you were. You know, just things like that. Um, it can be considered a down note, but it's it's still a real real good song. Um, it was allegedly recorded on Mark Coyle's bed with Liam Noel and Paul Arthur's on a little four-track tape machine. Um, if so, I want Mark Coyle's bedroom, because it sounds really, really good. Um, not really too much to say about it. I mean, after the epicness that was slide away, it's kind of a palate cleanser. And, you know, the, the, last, the last words you hear on that album are goodbye, I'm going home. And, you know... After the journey through the album, it is a really, really good way to close it. So Rock and Roll Stars, this big bombastic intro that, you know, shows people full of energy and full of vitality and full of, you know, as Jim Ross would say, piss and vinegar. And then by the time Married With Children comes around, you're spent. You know, I'm done. Goodbye. I'm going home. So the UK at this point, when this was recorded, was still a very, very uh, single-centric country. Uh, singles would would sell 500,000 copies, you know, and, and not think two ways about it. So, you know, B-sides were still a thing in the UK at this point. Um, well, this is a reputation of a couple of things, and one of them is writing really, really good B-sides. So they, uh, there's a couple more songs that I want to mention that they recorded due, between uh, 1993 and 1994 that... Um, I think are important to their history and especially considered part of this era. So uh, I'm going to get that over with real quickly and then uh, we'll come to my opinion and legacy. So we're going to start with, as I mentioned, uh, there was a song called Fade Away. Um, an early staple of all the Oasis shows. It's an upbeat, punk-sounding song, loud. However, unusually for an Oasis song, the lyrics are... 
down, for lack of a better term. I mean, you know, uh, while we live in the dreams we have as children fade away. I'm very, very, you know, ooh. But it's done in a way where it makes the song seem uplifting. Um, not even the fact that it's in a major key, I guess. It's just because of the energy that everybody put put towards it. Now, um, it was re-recorded in 1996 for the Help album, which was, for those who don't know, a charity called War Child uh, got with a bunch of artists in the UK, and they put the concept out Monday, recorded it Tuesday, mixed it Wednesday, packaged it Thursday, released it on Friday. Uh, 20-track album, complete chaos of a day. But uh, they Oasis re-recorded this song with Noel and Liam swapping vocal duties. So Noel was the lead singer and Liam was the backup singer. Um, after maybe this tour, after the definitely maybe tour, and maybe a brief revival during the Brotherly Love tour, this song was pretty much retired and only played then out by Noel acoustically. And he used the format more with the help re-recording than the original, you know, than the original out there. Uh, second, another song worth mentioning during this time is a song called Cloudburst. Now, if you were in Japan or had the Japanese released, this song is familiar to you and you're wondering why I didn't talk about it in the main review. Well, in the British version, the American version, it was just a B-side. So, <laughs> now, it's a real, real good song. Um, very upbeat, slightly psychedelic, and it talks about, you know, basically the weather. Um, but it sounds like the Manchester movement as opposed to what we become the Britpop movement. Real, real good song, too. Again, underrated. McCarroll's drum work is really, really good. Very, very riff-heavy. Um... What I like to call, I don't know if there's a technical term, but but like the, the, the bass line and the rhythm line kind of step, you know, as opposed to just being dung, 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 it's more dung, 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 dung you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, but yeah, really, really good song, Psychedelic, as I mentioned, it's, you know, it's 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 underrated, and again, if you're not an Oasis fan but like that style of music, go ahead and listen to it. Now we have uh, Whatever. Now, Whatever was kicked off the album, it was originally recorded and demoed during that time, but they felt like there was something missing. And they couldn't really record it because they didn't have the money to record it. Um, they needed, like, an orchestral section, basically. So it was the first uh, Oasis song to be recorded at Abbey Road, the first to feature any stringed instrumentation, um, one of only two Oasis singles not to feature on an album. The other one was Lord Don't Slow Me Down a few years ago. Um, but again, you know, like the rest of the songs on Definitely Maybe, this was written and recorded and demoed around about that same time. You know, um... There's a version, a demo version out there, which has got synthetic strings on there. But aside from that, you know, the song basically remained the same. Um, at live shows, whoever's singing, and that's important, uh, either adds Octopus's Garden or All the Young Dudes uh, to the end of the song. You know, just that that, that that come down. It's either All the Young Dudes Carry the News or um, I'd Like to Be Under the Sea. Now, as Noel Gallagher has moved away from Oasis, he's kind of ended it with recycling some of the lyrics and basically ends it, oh, I know it's all right. Um, very, very simplistic. Very, very... Simplistic musically and simplistic lyrically, to be honest. Um, not a wordsmith classic by any means, but like a lot of Oasis' stuff, the sound, the tempo, and what they wanted, it, it caused it to be a fan classic. You know, um... Basically put this song from the minute it was recorded was either played acoustically with a full band arrangement, full acoustic arrangement. Noel Gallagher plays it on his live shows. 
this this basically is is you know like live forever, like cigarettes and alcohol, just carried Oasis through, and it's considered one of their classics, kind of one of their masterpieces. Um, another song recorded at this time was uh, "Half the World Away." Uh, this was written and recorded in America in 1994. Uh, Noel Gallagher and the band almost split because of an argument. Uh, Noel basically ran away, and he ran away from the band, and met some people, you know, hung out with some friends, and then came back and wrote two songs, uh, Half the World Away, this one, and Talk Tonight. Um, basically, Half the World Away featured Noel on vocals, Noel on bass, Noel on drums, and Noel on guitar. He basically recorded the whole thing by himself. Um, it was a staple of his solo shows. I mean, to this day, he still plays it. And, you know, it's more famously known as the theme tune to the TV series The Royal Family, which was created by Bonehead's cousin Craig Cash and friend of the band Caroline Hearn. Uh, God rest his soul, Caroline. Um, but, yeah, really, really good song. A uh, song about wanting to get away. Um, Paul Weller's favorite Oasis song, you know. And just a real, real uplifting, you know, don't feel down kind of thing. And, like I said, he recorded that with Talk Tonight. Now, Talk Tonight wasn't released until a little while later. Um, basically, the Some Might Say single, which was the first of the Morning Glory year. But it was recorded during this time. That's why I'm putting it in here. Uh, it was his wake-up call. Um, he he basically went back to join the band, all was given, and, and played this song for them. There are a couple of different versions out there. Uh, the official one is the one that everybody knows. There are versions where the band play a full band arrangement, which I think is fantastic. And there are some versions out there which is just half acoustic, half electric, which is kind of what Noel plays now in his solo shows. And the final song that I want to talk about in this era was a song called Listen Up. Um, my favorite song of this era, hands down, bar none. Um, the reason it was basically pulled off was there was a combination of elements of the track included uh, similar drums to live forever and a similar riff to supersonic and the band could never quite quite get it right it was only played three times live for oasis uh basically tony mccarroll couldn't do it at a canadian show uh scott mcleod who's a uh, replacement bassist couldn't get it right and ironically the most famous version of the song pre noel doing it in his solo shows uh was a full orchestral version at the ntv unplugged show great great version of the song you know they they got the uh, strings playing the riff and it was it was fantastic um the lyrics are more thoughtful than than your average oasis song and they kind of want you to you know to, to think about it to think about what you've done and that chorus man that chorus i love that chorus you know sailing down the river alone i've been trying to find my way back home i don't believe in magic but it's okay being on your own you know it's saying look try your best but at the end you've got to do it yourself and that's why i love it that's why i think it's fantastic so in my opinion this is a 10 out of 10 album completely and utterly 10 out of 10 no question in my opinion, the greatest debut album of all time. It is full of optimism. It is loud without being overbearing. You know, while the lyrics blew hot and cold, Shaker Maker and Dixie Dinner aside, a lot of the lyrics, you know, they meant something. A lot of Oasis lyrics did not mean anything. You know, only little snippets here or there, but a lot of these songs meant something. You know, um, it's bombastic. It's loud. It's in your face. It's, it's a masterpiece. I mean... 
never mind just being the, perhaps the greatest debut album of all time, it's considered one of the best British albums of all time. And it changed Oasis from a national band to a worldwide phenomenon. Now, it's often shunted aside for What's a Story, Morning Glory, which is a more popular work. But in my opinion, definitely, maybe, is a vastly superior album. Morning Glory is a good album. It's not as good as... It's, it's an overrated album. Doesn't mean it's not good, but it's just overrated. Definitely, maybe, it's fantastic. And see, what people don't understand about Oasis, and I think I mentioned this before, Oasis sold like 75 million albums worldwide without cracking North America. As far as I'm concerned, you give me any... If they cracked North America, they would have sold at least 150 million albums, in my opinion. Uh, with the exception of Morning Glory, they didn't really crack America, but they still sold 75 million albums. And that's 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 a huge deal. Um, you know, It's a shame that they, they, they're they not as big in America as they are in the rest of the world. Or they were in the rest of the world. I mean, here's the thing, you know, they'd come to America and play in front of 4,000 people. Then they'd go to Argentina, play in front of 50,000 people who were singing the songs back to them in a language that's not their native language, and, you know, understanding what that meant. There, I mean, there's a clip of Noel Gallagher singing Don't Look Back in Anger somewhere, you know, online uh, in some Argentinian stadium, River Plate Stadium, in fact. And, you know, just going through it, and, yeah, what a great, great, great thing. Um, but, yeah, guys, if you've not listened to this album, go listen to it. It is a very, very good album. Even if you're not a big Oasis fan, you have to admit that this album was very, very good. So, we've got a lot more to come here in a few minutes. Uh, we are going to take a look. Now that we've had the Britpop episode, I know, and we've talked about Oasis a couple of times, but um, we've got a new segment coming up. And basically, if you wanted to dress like anybody from the Britpop era, well, how would you dress? Well, thankfully, we have fashionista to help us out. Between 1994 and 1997, the Britpop music scene was the biggest music scene in Europe. Bands like Oasis, Pulp, Blur, and Suede dominated the chart. And this week, we'll look at the trends needed to look like a Britpop icon. We start with the hair. To achieve this authentic Britpop hair, first you need to completely shave your head on the highest number setting of your clippers. Once you have done that, you let it grow out scruffy. And within three to four months, you too will look apart. Next, grab yourself a pair of sunglasses. These will be essential to look like top lad and will cover your bloodshot eyes. If real glasses are needed, that's okay too. As stars of the era would all wear prescription lenses. The trick, old fashioned NHS specs. While you are growing your hair out, you may not want people to see it, and that's okay. Just grab a bucket or a fishing hat. The hat must display the logo of the sports designers. So, Nike, Adidas, Puma, and Umbro are a certainty. No baseball caps, though. A dark check shirt or a lighter shirt with a paisley pattern is what's next on the list. You must button up all but the top button and do not tuck it. This will keep your arms free to flail around like the younger Gallagher. You can also wear a polo shirt as long as it has some form of design on it. Next, you may need to keep yourself warm, so grab a pullover and, well, pull it over. You will need a solid color sweater, again, with sports logo on it. Be warned though, whomever makes your hat 
also must make pullover. If your sports pullovers are not for you, then a tri-colored pullover is acceptable, meaning one solid color and two banded hoops. Now for the simple part. A pair of blue jeans are required with a simple black belt. Easy, huh? The next is a little trickier, but a good pair of shoes. Black with laces are required, or a black pair of athletic shoes. Again, as with the hat and the pullover, they need to be the same brand. Additional accessories include rings, the football shirt of the team you support, a watch that is a little too big for your wrist, and in the wintertime, a parker to keep the cold off you. This is all you need to look like a mid-90s British rock star. Okay, guys, we are almost done with the show. Um, I've just got a couple more things to go through. Uh, last week, we asked on social media, what do you think was the best or your favorite debut album of all time? Uh, we got a good couple of responses for this. I'm actually going to go with the top five this week. So uh, we're going to start with Michelle, who said uh, BRMC by the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club or Expecting to Fly by the Blue Tones. Two very, very good albums and definitely, in the Blue Tones case, their best work. Uh, Emma says Appetite for Destruction or Queen, uh, the best opening song ever with Keep Yourself Alive. Life. Yep, two very, very good albums. Guns N' Roses, you know, they got progressively worse, so that's a real, real good album. Uh, Tony said Kasabian, or Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not by Arctic Monkeys. Um, Kasabian got better, in my opinion, but uh, yeah, Arctic Monkeys kind of stayed level or, or dropped. Not to say that they're, they're bad, I'm just, I'm not a fan personally. Marcy said, New Radicals, Maybe You've Been Brainwashed too, or Savage Garden. Uh, Savage Garden's a good album, I, I, I like that. I haven't heard the uh, New Radicals album, uh, mainly because, you know, of one song on it, and that's not allowed to be played in my house. You know, but uh, what can I say? You know, you only get what you give. And uh, <laughs> that was probably the worst joke I've ever made on here. And uh, finally, Vicky said, Silverchair, Frog Stump. Uh, I haven't heard that album, but I know you're a big, big fan of Silverchair, Vicky. Thank you very much for the answer. So, guys, if you're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr, look at Because Maybe Pod. Next week, I return with another review. Uh, this time, we look at The People versus Larry Flint. Um, to me, that's a very, very good movie and a very, very important movie, um, especially with this, this stuff about free speech going on right now. Uh, you know, you'll see why it's important. I'll also be joined by the fantastic Sarah because this is one of her favorite movies. It's a fantastic movie and it stars Courtney Love. So if it's got Courtney Love in it, Sarah's definitely coming on board. So in the spirit of Larry Flint, who is basically a free speech, um, you know, that's one of the things he's made. He's, he's known for producing the uh, Trashy Magazine and for being an advocate for, for free speech. Um, who are some of the unlikely heroes? The people who you wouldn't expect to be an ally in a particular fight. Uh, for, for example, I'll give you one right now. Uh, Neville Southall, a 60-year-old former soccer player. Um, football player for everybody on the uh, UK side of the, the pond. Um, he was seen to be loud, brash, and blah 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 and if you go to his twitter page he vehemently uh, supports lgbt rights and you know and and educate himself on two certain things so that's very very an unlikely hero in in my case especially consider his reputation as a womanizer and you know so on and so forth so you know that that's what i would say i would say neville southall who do you think so um i look forward to hearing your answers and we'll get back to them next week so guys with that in mind, uh, it's a shorter episode than normal, which is good. This, again, these are kind of the length of the episodes I wanted to be anyway. Uh, but guys, you know, very, very good to talk to you guys again. And I will talk to you guys again 
next week. Y'all have a good one. Shine.